0: Hello
1: and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, coming to you from REACH, the people behind the Manchester Evening News, Newcastle Chronicle and Liverpool Echo. If you want to know what's going on in Northern politics, from a Northern perspective, you're in the right place. I'm Dan O'Donoghue and on this week's episode we speak to Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham about Boris Johnson levelling up and his ambitions for the city. Mr Burnham's Nighttime Economy Czar, Sasha Lord, also tells us about how businesses are faring against the backdrop of a cost of living crisis. But first, I'm joined by Liverpool Echo political editor Liam Thorpe in what has been a truly horrific week for the city. Liam, I wondered if you could start by just talking us through what's been happening on Merseyside in
2: recent days. Absolutely, Dan. I think, you know, anyone who's kept an eye on on the national news or any kind of news will will be be very aware of the the horrendous and and tragic murder of of nine-year-old Olivia Pratt-Corbell, in the Dovecot area of Liverpool um that happened on Monday night as uh, a a chase between um two people it ended up in the most tragic circumstances as as one of them forced their way into Olivia's home um the 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 other person involved fired bullets um into the house one of them hit Olivia's mum Cheryl and the other tragically killed the 9-year-old girl it's it's an unbelievably horrendous story it's scarcely Scarcely believable, really, and people here still struggling to get their head around this, this horrendous tragedy. But it's, it's actually one of four brutal killings that have happened within a week on Merseyside, three of them involving guns. Um, it started with the, the shooting of a young man, um, Sam Rimmer, in the Dingle area of the city last week. Then over the weekend, um, an extremely uh, traumatic incident where a young woman, 28-year-old woman, Ashley Dale, was was shot. Um, was found with with uh, shotgun wounds in her back garden. She was uh, in the old Swan area of the city. She was sadly pronounced dead. Um, and then there was also uh, another incident, uh, unrelated, in which uh, a grandma from the Kirby area was stabbed to death, um, trying to break up a fight um, over the weekend. All these things together is a is a, an explosion of, of violence, really. And the you know people here just don't know how to get their heads around it. There, there may have been incidents um, in Liverpool and Merseyside before, but to have four Um, such brutal incidents in in such a short space of time has really sent shockwaves around this region. And,
1: you know, there was such a a powerful editorial that The Echo ran earlier this week, you know, really... Encouraging those in the city who may have information to come forward. I mean, you've been obviously based on on Merseyside for for a long while now. I, ju- I just wondered if you could kind of talk us through that editorial, and that message that you you were trying to get across.
2: Yeah, look, we 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 sat round, um, you know, the editorial uh, sort of senior editorial staff to disc- to sort of put together that 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 message and, and decided that for the most important thing right now. You know, there are other aspects to this. I think we touched upon some of the political aspects. You know, this region has seen massive cuts to 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 funding to crucial services that that can help um in communities but right now the the number one priority for everyone is is finding the person who did this to this 9-year-old girl and we know that within within Liverpool but within other cities there are um, there are certain barriers um and there is this sometimes this idea of a of a don't grass culture or of a of a code certainly between criminals and, and gangs and what we were saying with our front page was you know it's time to choose whose side you're on in all this are you on the side of a a callous cold-blooded killer who's fired bullets that have killed a little girl left her there dying on the floor are you on that person's side or are you on the side of the little girl who lost her life and her family who are desperately trying to come to terms with with that unimaginable loss it's time to make that decision and if you do know anything you know there are avenues you can go down Um, I've actually been in in the community today, um, a community centre, which is providing a really vital resource because, you know, some people don't want to speak to the police. Some people are really scared of retribution. So they are um, councillors and community figures that are taking, you know, anonymous tips and passing them on to the police. And they've been getting credible information. They've been getting names. So there are ways to do this. And if you know anything, it, it really is incumbent on anyone to help track down the person who did this.
1: I just wondered what the mood was like in those community centres. I mean, obviously, given it's also kind of 15 years since the, the death of Rhys Jones as well. And that, I imagine, would have only heightened emotions a bit more. What are people saying to you on the ground there?
2: Yeah. And of course, it's. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, a sort of tragic twist of fate that this was literally 15 years to the day that Rhys Jones was killed. And Croxteth isn't that far away from from Dubcott where this happened. You know, I, I remember going around Croxteth to kind of look at the ways that that community had rebuilt itself from that that horrendous tragedy that happened and, and that's going to have to happen here in, in Dovecot as well. It, it There's something or, e, arguably even more um, alarming about this is that, that Olivia was killed inside her own home. You know, she, she should have been safe there. She was inside her home and, 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 uh, the, you know, it, it's obviously brought it home massively to the, to the local residents there. I could, you could feel it today, you know, complete shell shock still, I think people are still completely shocked, um, a very kind of sort of strange and, and and slightly quiet and somber mood around the place. Obviously, lots of media. You know, big big police presence. Um, it's not what anybody wants around there. They want to be getting on with their lives. They didn't want. They never wanted this this horrible violence to turn up on their doorstep. Um, but as I say, you know, right now the the total priority is is, is catching this person um, who remains at large. And of course, that will continue to spread fear in a community when you know a, a, a ruthless killer is is at large. That's the first. The most important step and and then you, you look at you will look at other issues perhaps issues where you know some of the figures I was speaking to today said that they feel like their area has been forgotten about there, there isn't there aren't services there there isn't support there aren't places for people to go and sort of you know direct people onto onto a better path and, and things like that so we, we will be exploring that with them but right now there's there's one priority and it's getting this this ruthless killer off the streets. Well, thanks for talking us through
1: all that, Liam. I'm sure many will be turning to the Echo in the days and weeks ahead to keep up to date on this truly awful case. But now let's hear from our first guest, Andy Baird.
3: Good afternoon, I'm Ryan Wykes reporting for the Northern Agenda and joining me today is the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham. Andy, hello. Afternoon, Ryan. Casting your mind back to 2019, uh, when Boris Johnson first gained access to number 10, he came up to the Manchester Science and Industry Museum to talk about his plans for the North. In that speech, he brought up issues about Greater Manchester that he wanted to address directly, uh, I imagine with your help. And one of those was endemic health problems, generational unemployment, down at the heel high streets. He said that we, the politicians, and the politics have failed. Uh, This government that I'm leading will unite our country and level up the North. When you heard this, how did you feel about having Mr Johnson at the country's helm? And what hopes did you
0: have for his premiership? Well, I was sitting there in in the audience. I think it was on the, on the the second row, and I think he even uh, singled me out at one point or other. But I was sitting there listening, thinking, "Well, I could have written seventy percent of this speech." Um, it felt like he'd he'd uh, taken one of my uh, my, my speeches, but it, it it sounded promising. I'll be honest, and uh, it, it was uh, the right thing to say at the right at the right time, and. Um, you know, it, um, it, it in some ways um, makes me a bit nostalgic in that it kind of it felt as though we were going into a genuinely exciting sort of time for the north of England. You know, and, and I can remember feeling coming out of that, thinking, "Well, you know, I'm prepared to work with anybody actually who's going to um, you know to make some real change happen here, and if it has to be." This Prime Minister, well, you know, I'm going to work with whoever. So I remember feeling, actually, if I'm honest with you, quite a degree of optimism that day that, you know, things have been said that, well, I I took it actually as a bit of a vindication for Greater Manchester's building of that agenda over a long period of time. All the things you mentioned were things that we'd been saying needed to be addressed. So, yeah, you've taken me right back. And um, as I say, sometimes... Kind of nice to have one of your own speeches played play back at you, certainly by our prime minister. Further on into the
3: speech, uh, he went on to address the four areas that he wanted to, quote, get right specifically. Um, and that would have been basic living with uh, reducing crime in the north and increasing wages for local workers, connections with Internet, transport and I I I think he kind of said some kind of cultural connection as in you know person to person on the street local culture strengthening cultural and creative in- infrastructure as he said and giving these areas uh, power responsibility and accountability providing mayors such as yourself a greater voice or platform to communicate for your city's residence at Westminster. in the three years since, how much of this has been delivered and in your opinion, how have the results reflected in the daily lives of yourself and the people of Manchester?
0: Well, I was being obviously charitable to begin with before um, but maybe now will be less so because no way have the three years since lived up to what was said on that on that day. you know the words were good and he's good at words. But um, you know, it was just, and it has been depressing how little really there's been a focus to deliver and make sure that what was said was was done. Um, so yeah, it's been a you know a frustrating a frustrating time, and obviously the big thing that is in between him making that speech in Manchester in front of Stevenson's rocket and where we are today is clearly the pandemic. You know that was not a happy experience for this. City region, there was no evidence to me that a kind of spirit of thinking about the north first was guiding decision making. It was the old default position of of uh, London and the southeast first, and obviously people maybe saw that played out in the whole tier three confrontation that we that we had. So, you know, that's that's basically um, the, the the lived experience, if you like, of of things. It would be wrong of me to say that there's not been some steps forward on some of the things that you have just touched on, but I would say in many cases that's been about us driving that agenda and us pushing things forward, rather than the government handing down a big new set of powers or a big new um, uh, pot funding pot to to drive forward on all those. And I would say again, all of those important things that, that were identified in in what was a good speech. There's no 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 two ways about it. So yeah, it's been a you know a kind of a, a, a frustrating experience because we've tried and tried to carry on working with the government. It took a long time for them even to define levelling up in the levelling up white paper, and some would say that didn't completely do it. But here we are, you know, we're, we're, we're all those years on, and we we haven't had those powers. We're still waiting. It's been a um, it's been a frustrating experience.
3: As a slight aside, speaking of possible frustration um how do you feel when you're trying to communicate certainly over the past three years when you've been trying to communicate these shortfalls and this lack of support
0: back to Westminster well sometimes it's felt like you're just shouting into the abyss really you know not being not being heard at all always with me the government you know they kind of like to take a pot shot at, uh, at me and um you know, there's, there's there's often a bit of that going, a bit of that going on. I mean, the truth of it is, I mean, I, I came into this job and I said, if the government get things right, I will say so. And if they get things wrong, I will say so. And actually, because I've been in politics, frontline politics over 20 years, I know how to do that. You know, I can call things out fairly effectively when I need to. But that just then... Constantly says, "Oh, it's tribal point scoring." Well, it isn't. I'm trenchantly arguing the case for the people of Greater Manchester, and you know that has kind of um, you know always then used is used against you for doing your job, and so it's been it's been frustrating. I I still don't think, and I'm not necessarily just going to put it at the door of of the outgoing prime minister or his his outgoing cabinet, the, the, the government. I think it's still a sort of a wider Whitehall thing that they don't like other parts of the country answering back. They don't expect other parts of the country to answer back. Councils don't get heard, you know, when when they answer back because it's quite often quite you know it happens more beneath the radar, doesn't it? Whereas what they've experienced for the first time, probably since that Boris Johnson speech, is parts of the country are starting to answer back and say, "No, you've done this. You've done this to us all these years. We're not having it like that anymore." And that has that that has, I think, been a shock to the Whitehall and Westminster system. But I'm afraid it's here to stay. You know, there's just just no way we're going back to uh, to, to life before the the North and the regions had a stronger voice. So it's it, the process of going through that with them has been hard. You know, because they just don't like it. You know, and immediately when I did the Tier Three debate um there were articles appearing oh you know we'll be closing down devolution now we can't have this you know and we've kind of been through that and we're into a, a different phase if i was the new incoming prime minister i would look at the combined authorities across the north and say you know what i'm immediately going to empower them because they could deliver growth and change much more quickly than us trying to do it from whitehall so if the prime minister incoming wants to show there's been some change between now and the general election on levelling up well the best thing they could do would be to equip us quickly to get on and implement some of the plans that we've already we've already worked up um will they do that i uh, well, we'll, well we'll we'll wait and we'll wait and see but I, I all i can say is you know nothing's changed although working with the previous administration's been difficult we stand ready to play our part in driving forward the the economy of the north of England, you know we have a track record in doing it. We will work in a very practical way with any government um, to to make change happen and um that offer will be will be there for the new prime minister as as much as it will have been to his or her predecessors.
3: It's quite an interesting point there you raise about Westminster not traditionally considering areas outside of like you say kind of London the southeast but when it when it came to the pandemic i mean if i could take you back a little bit um, and back to the speech uh he no one could have foreseen the pandemic as it was um it, it was a shock to everybody but i believe it's kind of intrinsically linked to the boris johnson government i mean as he presided over it and and like you said like the country's kind of been shouting back at him as in part due to how everyone feels Coming out of it. And now, during his speech, he promised well, I'm sorry, he mentioned 20 potential hospital upgrades, winter readiness, and reduced GP waiting times. He said that these were particularly high on his agenda for the Northwest. Um, and the Manchester Evening News reported last month that 40% of the 118,586 patients arriving in AE departments faced waiting times of more than four hours, which was eight times higher than the NHS target. With that in mind, how do you feel his government treated Manchester with
0: regards to the pandemic? Well, there was a very big promise made around um, uh, North Manchester General Hospital, which has some of the oldest um, physical estate in the NHS. We're talking Victorian. And it really is, is at the end of its, its its life. You know, it's been valuable through that life to to us but to say that this is modern healthcare in the 21st century it's you know obviously it's just not tenable uh but you know we still haven't had an answer on that and now we're being told that that program is being is being cut back um there are other uh, capital needs that we've got that are on are on hold and yes okay you could say well the pandemic has has thrown things off course we'll sh- maybe look at it the other way maybe the a pandemic experience should be about saying we need to accelerate the renewal of our, of our health uh, infrastructure. So I, get, I guess this is the Johnson era for me, you know, the, the words at times were great, you know, the kind of, you could buy into the sort of, they were clever and they were um, well-pitched and all the rest of all the, you know, things that he's good at. What absolutely was missing is the grip on delivery, the follow-through that just wasn't there at all. And I think because he wasn't focused on it, the system wasn't focused on it. And that's how, I'm afraid, government, government works. And I speak from experience. Now, I remember being a, a junior health minister working under Tony Blair. And he, he would occasionally, about every two months, invite us in for a stock take where, you know, questions would be thrown at us about every element of what was going on in, in the NHS. You know, a and e waiting times of the kind you said, and then you immediately you go to cancer, a two week uh, pathway or something, and it, the effect of those things had you all over your brief looking at every bit of detail because from the very top there was a focus on detail, and I think that has been completely absent in the Johnson era. And what I would say is you've just kind of sensed the grip on government and on the the tiller on the the hand on the tiller of the state has just kind of got. Weaker and weaker to the, to the effect that it's off now and we're drifting without any any direction. And that, I'm afraid, you can see that in the NHS and the sort of general deterioration there. Yes, the pandemic has made it worse, but that says you need to have even more of a grip, you know, because of that. And that grip wasn't, wasn't there. Um, good example, in the pandemic, every public health director in Greater Manchester was saying quite clearly to me, we should be doing contact tracing. And that message went in from the Greater Manchester COVID Committee to the government. Let us do it. Uh, no nope, bump. You know, straight out to a, you know outsourced a lot, a lot of it. And it was kind of stuff like that, really, that just you know, the, there was a there was no grip on things, and there was no ability to listen to good advice that was coming up from the uh, from the from the system. Um, education was just shocking during the pandemic. You know, a Secretary of State that just didn't care whatsoever, and just didn't have any um connection with his uh with with, with his his world if you like. Uh, but I you know I could I could I could take you through a whole whole range of things. Grip is something that government needs and the Johnson government had no grip on delivery. In what regards do you now hold Boris Johnson as he prepares to leave number ten? Well I'm somebody who tries to be fair in in what I do and You know, so I'm going to be um, kind of fair, if I can, in terms of my assessment. And I'm going to sort of try and find something that is, you know, a positive that that people leave behind. And I think every prime minister, to some degree, writes the national story and to some degree, adds something into that story that then helps the country move on. And so therefore, let me start with the positive. I think the positive is the issue of regional inequality has been raised to the highest level of government for the first time by this outgoing Prime Minister. Well, if you go back to that speech in front of Stevenson's Rocket, the, you know, the whole thing about the North and what the North needs and the things that you talked about, the the health inequality that we've got, the idea that you know, people's lives here could be 10 years shorter than someone's life uh, in London and the South East, you know, that, that was kind of an issue that's always bubbled away and people in the North have argued, you know, why aren't these things taken more seriously? Well, the North-South divide was in theory put quite high up the, the government agenda, wasn't it? The UK government agenda all of a sudden was worrying about regional inequality in England. You know, my time in government, it wasn't high enough. Uh, and of the, the debate really was more dominated by England's relationship with Scotland, with Wales and with Northern Ireland. And, finally we'd hit a point where the divisions within england had become a top order issue And to be fair i think boris johnson is the person who you could say uh took the the, a very unequal england and made it a story made it an issue what we're going to do about it um but here's where i become less charitable which is that, you know, having done that and raised those expectations and having said the red wall would be, you know, it just hasn't happened in any meaningful way uh, what, whatsoever. So if anything, you could say it almost fuels more resentment there. Oh, we were promised we'd get this and then it didn't. And then it didn't, didn't come. So it's that gap, it's the Johnson gap. Between rhetoric and reality, I think all of his political career it's been it's been there and it's been played out in a colossal way in the north of England, where the promises were biggest to us and the lack of delivery or the gap between that promise and what we got was was therefore greater than anywhere anywhere else. But I guess I, I suppose in, in 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 a to take it further, I think there's a very 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 dangerous legacy that's been left by the outgoing prime minister and it's it's linked to that point about lack of grip but it's more than that it's about standards and it's about kind of behavior and it's about how the person at the top should lead by example you know you, the person who leads any organization should exhibit the best behavior if you're to get everybody behind beneath you and you know around you doing the same and therefore everything being being in in, in the right place I think we've had the opposite. We've had a just loosening of, of standards, you know, dropping of the bar in so many ways. You know, the ministerial code almost meaningless in this period. Um, you know, that is, I think, a very dangerous thing um, that, that's happened. And I think you've seen it in the civil service it's like disintegration of things. You know, it's not things are not in a good place. You know, there's been a degrading of of public life uh, in the last three years. And the damage of that is more profound, I think, than people realise. And, and it's hard; that is, it's easy lost and very hard won back. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think more and more
3: people on the street they wear it on their faces. I think uh, there is, you know, uh, even just the economic crisis that's going on; everyone is feeling it. And I think a lot of people, certainly in the north, you know, you walk into any shop, any pub, any restaurant. And you'll hear someone talking about it. You'll yeah. you raise the issue with someone, and and they certainly yeah. have very similar experiences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I you, you use the word scared there. I think I think that's not an overstatement. I think there is uh, a, a very real um, issue about people who are fearful, genuinely, of what what is lying ahead in the rest of this year going into into next i was in a supermarket uh in Goldburn where i live a few days ago and bloke was already saying to me that i think he actually used that word i'm scared about what's coming i've turned every single electric appliance off in the house and it's like the guy ga- it's, it's you see the pandemic exposed that england is two two worlds two countries i've always felt this you know, i went from here to cambridge when i was in my teenage years and i couldn't reconcile the northwest of the 1980s with. Cambridge in that same period. They just were like two different countries. I, you know, I couldn't relate one to another. And the pandemic brought that out again, wasn't it? The lives that some people were living in the pandemic and that sitting in their garden, sipping a whatever and, you know, all very happy and watching Netflix and then other people battling it out there, where, working in warehouses at risk and all the rest of it. You know, I think this period now is increasingly going to bring that out. You know, there's people who might have... a you know a tiny bit of a squeeze. You might have one less bottle of wine a week at home, or, or I don't know something that they compromise on. But there's others who are going to be absolute. Their lives are going to be turned upside down, unrecognizable. As I say, living in the dark, living without anything on, no social life, you know, no nothing, um, and the effect on their mental health of all of that. I think that's that's the reality. You know. For all of the rhetoric, England is still two countries. Life is still very different in the north of England than it, than it is for people in other, in other, in other places. And that, that reality did not change at all, really, in the Johnson, in the Johnson era. Um, and we're now going into a, 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 a really dangerous period where in the leadership election that's followed, we've had a sort of right-wing bidding war going on to a very unrepresentative group of people that almost is sort of taking us away from some of the things the country needs. You know, people are exposed to the cost of transport. They're exposed to the cost of energy. They're exposed to the cost of food. They're exposed to poor housing. Well, I was, and uh, utilities. I, to me, it was the selling off of all of those things in the 1980s that's now left us exposed to quite uncaring markets that won't necessarily look after people who've got leased. And yet in this contest, more deregulation, more tax, going, more this, dun, dun. And, and I just think there's a massive disconnect going on between what actually is the position of the north of England and what is the sort of prescription that these candidates are coming up with. And it's completely not what is going to help people. And how the new prime minister comes in and you know steps back from some of that rhetoric and starts to focus on the real world, I honestly don't know whether that's, Going to happen, and that's why scared is the word. You know, I'm, I'm feeling scared about what's what's coming, what's coming next, and I, and I know I'm going to probably have to use my voice in a way that I had to do in the pandemic. But I hope the new prime minister recognises that we can help, and if there is a sort of reaching out, then I'll I'll be there to reach back, and I'll say, right, this is a serious situation. Come on, then. You know, how how can we get through this, and you know. Will that happen? I honestly don't know. I'm kind of pessimistic at the prospects of that happening right now. But I I will absolutely be there if that's the way the new Prime Minister, the new government wants to work. So going back to Boris Johnson and, more locally, Manchester,
3: um, and you personally, actually, uh, when you are walking around the streets of Manchester where you live, when you're out arguing the points of the people that you represent and you reflect on how... You have watched your city go through its trials and tribulations since 2019. What particularly springs to mind, just in your your own head, as as your own thoughts?
0: I mean, I felt I knew this place well before I became mayor. But in my five or so years as mayor, I've just grown to love this place and its people more and more and more. Because the things we've had to deal with in those five years are just well, we couldn't have even begun to imagine, could we, you know, in terms of the the attack at the arena and then the fires and the pandemic and now the cost of living, you know, the things that people have had to live through are, in. you know, the magnitude of, of them is just immense, isn't it? And yet I look around and I see kind of humanity, compassion, Togetherness, strength, you know, this is a, it's a privilege to, to 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 lead this place. But what I think is, and I and I, I did feel it at times in the Johnson government, they deserve so much more, so much more than they've ever had out of any national government, to be honest with you, including the one that I was in. You know, so I'm not just making a cheap point. But they definitely deserve more from the one that's just ending, the the Johnson year government. You know, because they saw the opportunity for votes here. They took those votes. But then they didn't really have an intention of following through. And actually that made me feel angry for for them. I know people who voted for me and Lee who voted for Boris Johnson, basically, at that last 2019 general election. And I, I wouldn't have done, and I told them not to, but I can see why they did. In the circumstances as they saw it, you know, I can, well, I can understand their rationale, if you like. Um, not that I would have agreed with it, or, no, or nor would I have done it. But having done it, they really deserved. When I remember the phrase was, "What was it?" You know, these votes are on loan, and da da da. I mean, what really gets me is things like that said but not meant. And the thing about people here is. You can't treat people from our part of the world like that. They, they, when they do something, they mean it, <laughs> and they're met with people in the Westminster world, and particularly this prime minister, that said things and just didn't mean it. And the kind of the, the, the unfairness of that, you know, just really makes me sort of like despair, really about about where politics in, in the country is at. I think we are at the lowest ebb in my lifetime, without quite a shadow of a doubt, and that isn't just a, a cheap jive at the conservative party i think they have reduced us to quite a low ebb here where we are kind of degraded as a nation pretty much on every level uh the size of our problems is huge the risk to people is massive and yet the capacity of systems to deal with those issues is completely degraded and i think the people who gave him and his party, their trust in the north of England at the last election, I think have been bitterly let, let down. If I could ask you one more question,
3: it's kind of like putting a glass jar around a hand grenade. But could you surmise for me in maybe one or two sentences for the Johnson government?
0: Duplicitous, shambolic, uh, uh, oh. Do you want me to go on? I mean, I, don't, I you know I, I I could get worse with this, some of my adjectives, but uh, you know, but and as I said before, you know I I did try and tell people when you know my former constituents were coming up to me in the supermarket before the 2019 general election, I told them not to vote for him. I told them that this would happen because I obviously knew something of, of the character of the the man. But as I say, the reason I understood their rationale was they didn't, and they just saw the words, they saw the. You know what I mean? They saw the pitch, if you like, but they didn't see the person behind it. Um, but let me finish if I can. I'll, through I'll, gritted teeth, I'll try and get it back onto a positive. The one big leg, let's let's hope his legacy for British politics is he put the North South divide and regional inequality on the agenda, and now it can't go back off again. If, that, if, if I could say one charitable thing at the end, maybe that's it. And if that is his legacy, Well, it will be a legacy.
1: Soaring energy bills, staff shortages and a cost of living crisis that's making people think twice about heading out for a meal or drink is proving a lethal cocktail for towns and cities across our region. With me now to discuss all this and more is Greater Manchester's Nighttime Economy Advisor, Sasha Lord. Sasha, welcome. I just wondered if we could start, I mean, how bleak is it for restaurants, pubs and bars in Manchester at the moment?
4: You know, I, I maybe a fault of mine is always to look at the positives where I can, and I'll be honest with you, there aren't that many positives around at the moment. Um, I think one one thing we can take from it is some CGI figures came out three weeks ago, and Manchester in terms of food and drink actually bounced back quicker than any other city in, in the whole of Britain. But that's, that's camouflaging the issues on the ground. And you've probably seen only today it's been reported that possibly up to seven out of 10 pubs will not get through the winter. And, you know, where we are now is most definitely, not probably, most definitely a worse position than when we were shut during the pandemic. And I'll quantify that in the fact that During the pandemic, there was some really good support there. If you think, remember the furlough and, you know, VAT from 20% to 5% and business rates and all those things helped massively. Now, there is no support here whatsoever, uh, which is different to other countries in Europe. They've kept the VAT relief in there. Um, And we are entering a, a perfect storm. You know, we are, when I say we, hospitality is a luxury Let's, you know, we can't lie about that. It is a luxury when you go for a pint or go to a restaurant or theatre, stay that, that is a luxury. And one of the first things that people look at cutting back on when the cost of the living is coming in is luxuries. So we've got that problem. The other problem is we've got an absolute surge and rocketing costs. And everybody's seen the, the energy uh, increases at the moment. You know, I, I saw yesterday a small family pub in uh, Kendall, just on the outskirts of the Lake District, they've been quoted £124,000 next year for their energy. That is not viable. It really isn't. So you've got that coming in and the surge in actual cost of the products as well. So a friend of mine owns a restaurant in, in the centre of Manchester. He was telling me a couple of weeks ago, we went for a meal there, that the oil in his fat fryer is now more expensive than unleaded petrol. So anybody listening to this, whether you're in hospitality or not, clearly can understand the predicament we're in. And myself and other voices and trained bodies have been screaming for help. And sadly, the, the, we've just seen this circus of, of, you know, trying to elect this new PM. And whilst that's been happening, the walls have gone down. And whereas there was communication there quite a few weeks ago, that stop dead. And many places are not going to make the winter. Many, many businesses. And you know, the knock-on effect for the high street will be astronomical. And obviously, the worst effects are going to be those smaller, independent restaurants, bars on the high streets. And I don't know about you, but I much prefer those family-friendly places. I don't want to see American coffee shops on the corner of every street. You know, they're soulless. It kills it. So it's a very, very, very concerning time at the moment.
1: I mean, you kind of uh, alluded to the, the you know, the Tory leadership race that's going on at the moment. And it feels like so much of kind of the government's business has been put on hold until we've got this new prime minister in place. And of course, obviously, as you've alluded to, there's so many businesses can't really afford to wait for, for answers or solutions Have you kind of heard anything from either of the campaigns that kind of fills you with optimism about a potential solution over the winter?
4: No, nothing at all. I have heard from the candidates talking about energy price caps in in households. And absolutely, that is the right thing to do. It really is. But in terms of supporting the businesses, nothing. Neither of them even discussed it. Um, So neither fill me with any confidence whatsoever. Actually, I think what should have happened is they should have had, Cobra meetings and, you know, including the PM who went on holiday twice and got married in the space of three weeks. Why he couldn't wait until another two weeks when his job was finished, I have no idea. But he should have been there with the Chancellor, with Lysch Truss, with Rishi Sunak at Cobra meetings to say, look, we have got a problem here. We need to sort it out. We need to get a grip, show leadership. And, And they simply haven't.
1: If action isn't forthcoming, do you worry about, you know, the ability of towns and cities to bounce back from this? You know, could we potentially see city and town centres turn into ghost towns like they were during the pandemic where, you know, there isn't places to go? I mean, obviously in big big cities like Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, you, you've, I suppose you've always got to think that there will be places to go out. But, I mean, how bad is it going to get?
4: Do you know what? I think it's it's coming out of it, it's going to be worse than the pandemic. Uh, You know, there were businesses coming out of the pandemic that had a lot of debt, but they had hope. And we were seeing footfall coming. You probably saw yourself. Places were busy. People were dying to go out. You could put anyone on in in concert and it would sell out within minutes. Um, And people called it the Great Gatsby period. It wasn't quite the Great Gatsby, but everyone was out having fun and. This has now happened, and those people have got that debt, they're saddled with the debt, they can't furnish it. We are going to see the high streets change. Um, And I think if help comes in two weeks, that's helpful. But actually, the horse has already bolted, if I'm being honest. You know, when you see those energy prices coming in now, you cannot reverse that. So, yeah, the damage is, is here. And people are talking about you know, cost of living coming. It's not coming. It's here. And people are talking about places looking to close. They're closing now as we speak. And I've got friends who are just throwing the keys back. You know, there is a bigger picture here. Forget the business. Forget the jobs. But imagine as an operator, a mental strain that you have gone through for the last two and a half years, you know, trying to have sleepless nights to keep your business going and, and keep people in jobs, and then when you thought you saw the light at the end of this tunnel, you're coming out of this, the rug's pulled at the 11th hour, and people are really, really suffering out there. They really are. And I know the whole population is suffering at the moment with, with strengths and anxiety, but in my industry, you know, we've seen how badly hurt it was the last 24, 30 months, and, and people have just simply had enough, and they're walking away.
1: You're obviously an advisor in Greater Manchester. Um, I just, I suppose first, if you could talk us through maybe some of the things that maybe you're kind of advising firms and, and people to do in, in the light of what's coming down the track and also, I suppose, more widely looking across the north of England, I suppose, what would you say to uh, other large cities across our region?
4: So I think firstly, I'm very, very, very optimistic about in two years' time because I can see the infrastructure that's coming in 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 Greater Manchester in in 2024. Now, I'm confident we're going to have better transport facilities. I'm confident we're going to be looking after staff a lot better. There's the Good Employment Charter. And, you know, this is something that I've not been perceived as popular for saying, but I'm just being honest. You know, a lot of people left our sector and you mentioned staff shortages. And I get that. I don't blame them. They had to put food on the table, pay the rent and, you know, send the kids to school and stuff. But why aren't they coming back? Well, there are many reasons why. You know, I don't want to say the B word because it's happened. I hate looking back, but that has not helped. But actually, if we look at ourselves in an industry, there are some incredible employers out there. But I'll be honest, and some real cowboys as well. Did they, employ, did they look after the staff as well as they could have done pre-COVID? The answer is no, they didn't. They didn't pay them well enough. They didn't look after them. Staff were being bullied staff working late, long shifts, many without breaks, kicked out at doors, no transport. Home. All these things is not a healthy environment. So in two years time, I know we're going to be in a much, much better position. It's how we get through these next two years. And, you know, I'm continuing to lobby to get financial support. That is the only answer, financial support. If they decide just to turn their back on us, then... In two years time, the high street is going to be desolate that, you know, you're going to have these plastic chains. They've got the same menu in every single city, every single town across the UK. Um, And it's not right. We're going to see them implode.
1: link to the northern agenda podcast and don't forget you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk it's more important than ever for northern voices to be heard the northern agenda is a laudable production for reach it's presented by me rob parsons and dan o'donoghue and it's produced by daniel j mccoughlin if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the northern agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts including apple and spotify Also, check out the other Laudable podcasts. See you next week. Bye-bye.